Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Region 6 OSHA podcast. I'm John Serma, and I've got with me, as always, Frank Davis out of Dallas. Frank and I were kind of kicking around topics to discuss relative to the podcast, and lo and behold, Alec Baldwin bestowed upon us a wonderful example of a case to talk about with the uh, recent criminal indictment in New Mexico relating to the shooting on the Rust film set. Frank and I are probably going to take two episodes to talk about the case and uh, kind of focus on two separate elements. Um, today's episode, we're going to talk about criminal referrals arising out of OSHA cases, and uh, those primarily happen in cases where there's a fatality, uh, but they can happen in, in some other cases. And, um, you know, Frank in, in prior episodes and elsewhere and kind of our normal conversation often talks about criminal penalties. You know, I thought it would be a good way to get started if you, Frank, would kind of explain the three ways that someone can get in trouble due to an OSHA inspection that ultimately leads to some sort of criminal exposure. Yeah, sure. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Uh, and while this is really an unfortunate event to to bring this to the to to the topic of our podcast and we certainly feel bad for what happened out there this case does demonstrate what we've been communicating to clients for a while now is that uh, OSHA looks like it's posturing to make more referrals uh, for to to criminal proceedings and when OSHA is making referrals, there are essentially three ways uh, or three paths that it takes. Um, two of those paths are through the Department of Justice, a federal referral. One style is um, a criminal referral for an employer who willfully violates a safety standard uh, that's outlined under the Occupational Safety and Health Act uh, and that leads to the death of an employee. The second is, um, and it's pretty basic, there can be a, a federal criminal referral when an employer makes a false statement or false representation or, or tries to bribe uh, an OSHA uh, official to or, or tries, uh, tries, lies to them or, or tries to bribe an OSHA official. And then the third way that criminal referrals are made, uh, and I think that uh, you and I had talked about this previously, John. This used to happen uh, quite a bit more in Texas um, in the early years of your practice here, and it's occurring more and more recently as uh, OSHA makes uh, criminal referrals to local district attorneys or, as in the case of this Rust case out in New Mexico, they make the referral to the state attorney general. And from the standpoint of the criminal referral, uh you know, when it goes to the federal government, could you kind of explain to folks, you know, kind of what the process looks like from the standpoint of, you know, who's involved? Is it OSHA solicitors or is it U.S. attorneys or, or who's involved? And, and you know, uh, uh, maybe a little bit of color about, 
you know, kind of what those prosecutions tend to look like. Well, so the distinction between um, the the two branches of, of uh, that part of government, their executive branches, OSHA is under the Secretary of Labor. And uh, under the Secretary of Labor, they have their own Department of Labor attorneys. And those are the attorneys that we typically see prosecuting the civil side of the OSHA cases. So whenever uh, a, a case is uh, moved to contest and it's challenged in front of the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, then it's the Department of Labor lawyers that handle that case. For Department of Justice, you've got separate lawyers that see those cases that are referred to them, and those Department of Justice cases handle the criminal referrals. They evaluate the criminal referral, and they decide whether uh, to prosecute under those federal statutes. It's uh, kind of the same distinction uh, when it comes to state uh, charges that are brought, right? Because the feds, the federal OSHA under the Department of Labor makes a referral to uh, to the state agency, either the uh, attorney general or um, or makes it to the AG, and then the state brings it separate. But it's not, those criminal charges are not managed by the same Department of Labor uh, lawyers that handle the civil side. From the standpoint of, you know, kind of how those are handled, are they handled, you know, kind of at the same time? Does one follow the other, you know, based on your experience, are, are those investigated by the Department of Justice, U.S. Attorney's Office at the same time that OSHA is doing its inspection? If you could explain to the audience kind of how that works, I think that'd be helpful. Yeah, frequently they run simultaneously. Uh, sometimes they follow after the citation is issued. For instance, in this Rust case, the um, uh, the the state agency, the New Mexico Environmental Department, which is New Mexico's state plan for the OSH Act, they issued a general duty clause citation back in April 2022, and they they issued it as a willful, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But as everybody knows, it was only just recently that the state attorney general. Uh, levied charges uh, against uh, some of the managers involved with Rust. And so while the investigations uh, may have started out at the same time, the decision to go forward with prosecution can vary um, as to as to when those occur. I'm, I've had cases where the criminal prosecution for uh, an alleged uh, violation being handled almost simultaneously with the civil side, which is not op- optimum. But so there's a, you know, John, to answer your question, it, it, it can vary. It depends how quickly each branch wants to move uh, because they are separate, but they do work together to some degree. So you, you kind of opened the door to this, Frank, and I, I'd like to kind of follow up on this. Uh, you talked about New Mexico Environmental Division uh, doing its inspection and, um, you know, kind of taking its course. Uh, can you give the audience a little bit of a, a summary of, of what we know of what NMED did? When New Mexico went in and they conducted their civil inspection for violations of the OSH Act, uh, they they went through their normal steps, uh, evaluating 
one, evaluating whether there was a violation of the OSH Act, uh, and then two, making a determination uh, about employer knowledge. And they ended up issuing two types of citations. One was a general duty clause citation, and that was one that they determined to be willful. I'll tell you about the details of that in a minute. Interestingly, though, they also issued uh, an other than serious under 1910.157, which is a fire extinguisher standard. And I don't have the details of that because that's not outlined. The fire extinguisher standard wasn't the headline and it wasn't really outlined in, in the press release. What we understand from the press release, though, regarding uh, the citations that issued is uh, that OSHA, in order to issue a general duty clause citation, OSHA has to make certain findings. One, they have to determine that there was a hazard that existed uh, that was recognized by the industry, and that hazard was likely to cause serious injury or death, and that there was a feasible and useful method to to correct that hazard or to avoid employee exposure to that hazard. And for the willful citation, uh, OSHA identified that firearm used on the set was obviously a recognized hazard. And because there was live ammunition on that set, uh, that firearm was capable of, of, of causing death or serious injury. Uh, and while we know that uh, as a consequence of the event, that's what occurred, OSHA doesn't actually have to have the serious injury or the death to occur in order to make those two findings. It's, it's merely employee exposure that they must show. And then they have to demonstrate that there was a feasible method to control that hazard and to, to prevent employees from being injured. What we know about that from the, from the information that's been released from New Mexico and, and been reported on is that there is a, a film industry standard that discusses how firearms should be maintained in that setting. And it's well recognized by the industry. It was also recognized in, in Rust's own policies uh, that uh, they would take certain procedures that would have prevented this type of accident from occurring. And so based on all those facts, OSHA was a, the state OSHA plan in New Mexico was able to determine that there was a recognized hazard uh, and that the the Rust Production Company didn't uh, comply with that recognized industry standard. And therefore, that led to the citation. You said they issued it as a willful general duty clause violation? Did They did. Yeah, so, so I gave you the standard and the uh, analysis for issuing a serious. Uh, it gets to be a willful citation when there are certain other elements present. The New Mexico environmental department in their statement said that the rust was cited for plain indifference to these recognized hazards associated with the use of firearms on the set that resulted in a fatality. It also resulted in another employee being uh, significantly wounded. Uh, and so uh, based on uh, that finding, that's how they moved it to a willful. And they ended up citing the movie company $136,793 for that one violation. But in when coming to that conclusion about plain indifference, they interviewed a lot of folks on the set, uh, just like they would in any other case. And they found that 
For instance, the person that was responsible for managing the guns was distracted at the time. Uh, maybe they had a stand-in or an assistant uh, that uh, that was handling the guns presented to the, to the actor that was involved in the shooting, and uh, that they weren't following the expectations held by the film industry, and they weren't following the expectations in their own policies. And, and whenever they get grossly out of a line with the expectations of the industries of the industry. Uh, and if that industry expectation also is outlined in their policies, then the, the result is that uh, OSHA, uh, not only in this case, but in any case, can determine that it's a, a willful violation uh, as opposed to a lesser categorization uh, that that would be called serious. And as you remember from what I said at the beginning of this podcast, once it gets to willful, uh, that's when employers become exposed to to additional charges uh, along the lines of criminal charges. And from the standpoint of, uh, you, you said something there at the end, and I, I just, I want to flush it out just a little bit. You know, were you talking about when it gets to the point of being willful, that's when employers have to be concerned about criminal violations. Uh, based on my experience, and I'm curious what yours is, you know, basically, at, at least at one point, in Region 6, anytime there was a death, regardless of whether the citations that flowed from that death were classified as willful or serious, there was a, a referral to the local district attorney's office. Did you see that? I, you know, I haven't, John. Uh, the only times I've seen referrals go to advance on the criminal line has been when there's been some type of egregious violation. I haven't ever seen it referred with it when it was just a serious, but I'd be interested in, in hearing your experiences, if not today, maybe the next time. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that might be something for a podcast further on down the road. But I, I know back in the, you know, 2007 to 2013, 14 range, we had a number of cases that were referred in particular by the co-show that was handling it to the district attorney's office uh, for, you know, review, at least from the standpoint of, uh, you know, some sort of state charge of negligent homicide or whatever the case might be. You know, fortunately for the clients, nothing ever came of those. But um, that was pretty common in the death cases, even those that ended up with, you know, relatively minor citations issued. Getting back to the issue of, employer recognition of hazards and employer indifference to hazards. Based on what we know of this situation with Alec Baldwin and Rust, you know, kind of what are the things that you believe or, or, or have read were factors that led to the attorney general or district attorney in New Mexico uh, finding that there was employer recognition of a hazard and indifference to the hazard? Like I said a minute ago, it's it's well recognized by the industry with regard to firearm safety, what the expectations are. Rust Company had adopted it into their own safety protocols, and then uh, they didn't follow their own safety protocols. Um, for instance, the, the 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 gun wrangler wasn't the individual handing the gun that had other issues and and, and concerns regarding. Uh, safety issues. Uh, I, I saw one report where they had 
um, allegedly had three accidental discharges. And they had had complaints from employees talking about uh, how they they felt like the worksite was unsafe. There wasn't any corrective action taken after they had the accidental discharges, which is key because that's another place where employers are put on notice that they need to uh, to address an issue. Uh, they had employee complaints about gun safety, uh, according to some of the reports. And the um, individual who discharged the firearm ultimately that that led to the to the to the entire citation and uh, and the incident that led to to this discussion today that individual didn't check the firearm allegedly didn't check the firearm to determine whether there were live rounds in the firearm uh, which uh, also is an expectation an alleged expectation under the industry standard. So I've got a question. I, I saw a, a, an article that indicated that prior to the shooting, but on the day of the shooting, somebody texted a manager and reportedly reported that they had three accidental discharges. And yeah, this this scene or this site or the shoot, whatever the, the term was, is super unsafe. How would something like that going to a manager play in the decision relative to classification of the citation and pursuit of criminal charges based on your experience? So it, it all goes to employer knowledge, right? And we see that in a lot of cases where employees will report safety concerns to a manager and the manager doesn't address those safety concerns or or, or brushes them aside or, or puts off making the correction. Uh, that's that happens in a lot of industries. That, that's not just in, in this one case that we're talking about today. And, and, and that does tend to support employer knowledge of, of hazards in the workplace. And, and an employer is responsible under the general duty clause, uh, as well as the specific standards in the OSH Act, to address the hazards in the workplace. If, uh, if the hazard is addressed by a specific regulation, then they have to they have to go and, and fix it in accordance with that regulation. But if it's a hazard like this one that's just addressed as a, a, a hazard that's generally recognized by the industry, or in this case, even specifically recognized by the employer, then the employer has an obligation to correct it. And by failing to correct it, that, that creates the employer knowledge. The factors that made this a more significant citation, one would be uh, the severity of the outcome, of course, but two, because so many people uh, had allegedly reported this concern and that there was no corrective action taken, that's how I think OSHA in New Mexico, the, the state plan there, came to the conclusion that management was just plainly indifferent, right? So they had all this information coming in about how guns were discharging and and they uh, and that people felt unsafe on the on the site, but management didn't do anything to correct it. And and when OSHA made the conclusion that management had been plainly indifferent to those hazards, uh, they were able to support a willful citation. At least they believe that they're able to support a willful citation. It hasn't been tried. It's still a charge that's pending, by the way. So with regard to Alec Baldwin, what kind of criminal charge is he facing and, and what type of exposure does he have based on what's happened here as far as you know? 
It's my understanding that multiple people were charged. I, I believe that Baldwin was charged as in two ways. One is a high-level manager, uh, since he took the producer role, uh, and he was also charged uh, as a, an individual employee uh, or, uh, or or an individual. I shouldn't say an employee. I got to be careful about that. But as an individual in a in at least a supervisory capacity. Um, he's, so he's been charged in multiple ways, as I understand it. And the, the charge that they've levied against him uh, is one of involuntary manslaughter. The reality is that uh, the charges were brought by the attorney general. And it was, it, from my experience, it was brought because it was determined that uh, this was a, an, an egregious violation uh, you know, of the willful variety. And is that typically the case when criminal charges are brought, based on your experience? Well, it has to be under the federal standards, right? It has to be a willful violation of a known regulation that results in the, the death of, a, of, of an employee. For each of the state plans, though, the standards are a little bit different. And in New Mexico, I'm, I'm not licensed in New Mexico, not a criminal lawyer in any state. But uh, in New Mexico, they brought the charge based on negligence. And so, you know, we've had this discussion in other settings and other forms is that once you get a willful citation, willful can be used to demonstrate negligent conduct or gross negligence. We often talk about it in the context of employees and, and, and employee next to kin being able to get around the workers' comp bar in states whenever a willful citation is issued. And so uh, I expect the, the attorneys general and the local DAs in, in various jurisdictions, they liken a willful violation to the same negligent conduct uh, that would support an involuntary manslaughter or negligent homicide. Now, if there's a disposition of the underlying OSHA citation, whether it's favorable to the employer or adverse to the employer, that in and of itself doesn't establish guilt or innocence for purposes of the criminal proceeding, right? It doesn't. It's a different standard. Uh, but, you know, whenever you're resolving one of these citations, uh, you often want to try to get it reduced out of the willful range, if for nothing else, just to avoid the possibility that it would be introduced uh, into a criminal proceeding for the prosecutor to be able to say to the jury, see, look, here's a willful violation that's been affirmed, uh, and that willful is evidence of of negligence or gross negligence. Now, is there any civil litigation that arose out of this shooting? Uh, There is. uh, I think the the cases that I saw were settled. The reason I wanted to mention civil litigation at this point is, you know, we're not only worried about the OSHA citations and the consequences of that, the abatement. There's criminal violations, but there's also almost always civil litigation involved whenever you've got a serious violation. It's one of the main reasons we have employees, we require employees to report injuries quickly and immediately. It's not because we're looking to punish them. It's because we want to be able to get this information as quickly as possible so we can fix whatever problem it was. So if somebody gets injured, hopefully a minor injury, we still want to know what that injury is so we can go and try to fix it before somebody gets hurt worse. Worse, And, and that's the point that I think we need to make out of all of this is if you're an employer and you get notified of a hazard, then goodness gracious, go evaluate it and try to get it fixed as quickly as possible. Yeah. And kind of following on that point, you know, one of the things that 
I think is often lost in this discussion and, you know, kind of as a recurring theme in my practice, and I assume this is true for yours, is, you know, when, when you have a situation where folks have reduced concerns to writing and move those concerns in writing to managers and managers haven't acted, you know, for Texas and several of the other states in Region 6, the work comp bar basically dissolves in cases of, of wrongful death where the employer was either, you know, grossly negligent or engaged in some sort of high level of disregard for employee safety. Frank, thank you very much. It's been a really great discussion about the situation with the Rust movie set and the Alec Baldwin criminal indictment. And you've made some really great points for our audience relative to how some of the lessons learned there can be applied to any other workplace. We'll continue this discussion in our next episode of this podcast. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.